Pastor Bill Meyer, I didn't know you were coming today. Would you mind coming to pray for our time in the Word? Thank you, sir. So we are continuing with encounters with Jesus in the book of Matthew. This is a series through the book of Matthew. We are finishing next week. Not today, next week. But you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 28 as Pastor Bill prays for our time in God's word together. Lord, I thank you so much for this wonderful day that we're celebrating, the day of your resurrection. Lord, we thank you for um, the fact that you have overcome death, you have overcome sin. Lord, we look forward to a day when we will all be resurrected to join you in a, in a, in a new heaven, a new earth where there is no more sorrow, there's no more sickness, everything that is wrong will be set right. Thank you that you did that, Lord, yeah. on the day that you were risen from the dead. And I pray for our pastor today that you would bless him with your, um, your fullness, anoint him. We pray for the preaching of the word, that it would just be powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, as your word promises that it will be. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Pa Pastor Bill's from Alive Again Alliance Church. He is Rebecca's dad, the angel's granddad. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm a little nervous today, not because it's Easter and not because we've got guests, because the kids are in here. And whenever the kids are, are staying in service, I get a little extra nervous about, is it going to make sense? Are they going to be able to pay attention? And so my kids will tell me later on, and uh, sometimes I feel like a failure as a result. So I, I'm also praying you kids can get something from this. Um, the title of today is called The Story Most Worthy of Our Gaze. The Story Most Worthy of Our Gaze. Now what do I mean by gaze? What do I mean by story? I could use the word worship instead of gaze, but people tend to think of singing, kneeling, uh, praying uh, with worship. And those are acts of worship, but those are acts of worship that come from a heart that is uh, fixed on Jesus. Uh, anytime we worship anything, it's because we are focused on that. Our physical eyes, but also our, our, the eyes of our hearts are focused on something. Um, in fact, somebody inspired this, this prayer request the other day. We were in a prayer group, and, and somebody prayed for somebody else who's not in this church, but they prayed. They said, God, may they love you as much as they love their lawn. That's what they prayed. And they said, of course, and more so, but apparently this person that they were praying for, uh, I, I, I guess they love their lawn. And, I, and they're kind of obsessed with it, and they're always focused on it. And they, and they said, you know, it's great. They're, in, in my neighborhood, they, they were saying that, that it's a beautiful lawn, but may this person be focused and love God as much as their lawn. And, and that's kind of how you can tell what you worship. What are you focused on? What are you obsessed with? What are you thinking about over and over and over again? If it's a sport, you know, you, you go to practice and then you come home and you're thinking about how to, how to improve your golf swings, so to speak, uh, or, 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 you know, any other hobby. When I was a teenager, it was filmmaking. I wanted to be a movie maker. And I was obsessed with it. I would uh, read biographies of Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese. Kids, you don't know who that is. They, they were big movie makers in the 90s. And, and I would read these biographies. I had this movie guide, encyclopedia, that I would memorize. And I would, I, like, had every movie that's ever been made, the plot, the year it was made, and I would hand it to my brother and say, quiz me. You name a movie, I'll tell you what year it was made. 
I was obsessed. I was focused. I, I could, I could you, you pick a year, I could tell you what, what, what uh, movie won Best Picture. So my focus was fixed on those movies. And the reason we get attached to something, the reason that we uh, fix our attention on anything is because there's a story behind it. There's a story we tell ourselves. If it's a sport, we tell ourselves, wow, if I can be really good at that, then I'll be somebody. Then everybody will cheer for me. Then blank. For me with the movies, it was, if I can be a filmmaker like Steven Spielberg, then I'll be somebody. Then, you know, the world will think I'm something special. The person with the lawn that my friend knows Maybe it's, you know, this is the one thing I can be good at. This is the one thing I, that can, uh, I can use to impress people. There's a story going on. And I think the resurrection story, this story about Jesus, is the story that is most worthy of our attention and our gaze and our focus and ultimately our worship. Because the character at the middle of that story is most worthy, most worthy of our worship. But here's the difficulty. Here's the obstacles that we have. I need six volunteers. Hopefully multiple ages. All right. Tessa, you can come on up here. Who we got there? Yeah, you, you come on up here too, buddy. That's, that's cool. I need some adults too. Who we got? Steve, come on up here. All right, you guys come on up and on stage. Come here. Follow me. Right up here. You line up there. Steve, you line up. You can line up right next to her. You, Jacob. Nice, Jacob. Thank you for volunteering. We, got, we need three more. Come here. Come here, to, uh, Tim. Who else we got? Jack. Cool. One, two, three, four. And then Sammy. All right, sweet. All right. All right. Kayla's no longer needed. She's good. We got six. We got six. All right, you guys, hold these up so people can, can see. All right, Steve. All right. These six people represent, hold it up so that our, our people can see, all right? You guys over the instruments. Can you guys read those? No? All right. I'll read them for you. This, this is distracted and bored. Okay, this represents the group that might be in here that is distracted from this story of Jesus. Maybe you've heard it time and time again. Maybe you grew up going to church, but you're like, ah, there's other things going on in my life. I've got a ham to cook today. I've got my in-laws coming over, and they're going to be a pain. I, I've got a job I've I got to get emails back to, so I can't focus on this story too much. I don't really, this service better not be too long, right? That's one group. And then here's another one. This is ashamed. I've done some things in my life that even if the story was true, I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if I'm worthy of this. This, this love that y'all talk about and sing about, uh, you don't know. You don't know what I have in my background. I hear this a lot from people. All of you guys look nice and pretty with your pink shirts, but not me. I've got stuff in my life. That's the ashamed. Jacob, what's your, your oh, angry. Angry. There's some folks who are just angry. Because life didn't go the way you wanted it to go. You had a plan and it didn't work out. And God let this happen and God let that happen. And there's an anger inside. And maybe you don't realize it and maybe you do. And maybe you're angry at God and maybe you're angry at other people. And maybe you're just angry at yourself. But there's anger. And then another group, hopeless. 
There's situations in here that you, you know, you came on Easter and you're, you see everybody smiling, but you're inside, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're feeling like, man, my marriage is at the end of its rope, and my finances, I just let go, let go from my job, I don't know what I'm going to do, and you're feeling hopeless. And then there's the skeptic. There's a skeptic. You dress for it, too. You look good as a skeptic. Like, I don't know about this. I'm the, 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 I got to go read some more about this. I got to go back to the library and research this a little bit more. And, and there's also skeptics who are like, I don't know if I believe this, but I ain't going to do any research. I don't really care to know. I just know that I'm going to be skeptical, and that's, that's that. And then there's a fearful. And, there, you know, there's... There's, there's cancer diagnosis represented in our church. There, there's things on the horizon that we're just, we have anxiety about. And we have fear about. And we're scared. And so uh, all of these different groups have different obstacles to this story. And I think, I believe that this story speaks to every different group. It's a story that, that's not just meant to inspire us. It's a story that actually happened in history. It's an event that happened it's not like other religions uh, that, that have a certain moral code. If Christianity was just a moral code to follow, then you could say, yeah, it's not much different than other religions. But it's based on something that happened in history, an event that took place in real time and space. And that's for the skeptic. But it's not just an event in history. It's a, an event that continues to unfold. So it's a story that we get invited into. That everybody, the distracted and the bored, should be most captivated by this story. And, and the ashamed, and, and the angry, and the hopeless, and the skeptic, and, and, the, and the fearful. I hope that this story speaks to every group. And I was having trouble this week going, oh, which group should focus on? So all I'm going to do is walk us through the story that my daughter Tessa read earlier. And I'm just praying that as we walk through it, God's spirit will speak to every group as he sees fit. And I'm not going to try to speak to every group. I'm just going to ask God to do that. And every person in here represents different groups, and these things overlap, of course, and there's different groups perhaps represented. Um, but Lord, I'm just going to pray one more time for the, the, the group that Tim represents, and Tessa represents, and Jacob represents, and Steve, and Sammy, and Jack represent. God, would you just speak to us all, and let this story captivate our hearts. Please, Jesus, do your work. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, thank you. You can leave those with me. I might need them later on. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. Give that up for these guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. Here we go. After Sabbath, this is the same one we just saw acted out. Just going to walk through it. After Sab the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So, just to set this thing, remind you of what's going on at this point. Their Jesus, who they called friend and Lord and Master and Messiah, their Jesus was suddenly seized Thursday night, taken, arrested, condemned to death. These ladies may have found out in the middle of the night. Perhaps it was early Friday morning. At some point, they found out that Jesus has been taken. And then they watched him be tortured and beaten and flogged. And then nails 
hammered into his wrists and his feet. And then by the end of the day on Friday, he was dead. And they were bewildered and they were confused. And it, it was the day before the Sabbath or as evening, Friday evening came is when the Sabbath started. And so they couldn't do work. They couldn't give him a proper burial. They couldn't prepare the body. They couldn't do the proper funeral. And so they just made note of where the body was put in a tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. And they said, okay, we're going to come back Sunday morning. And so here they are, Mark and, and Luke and John's gospel all talk about this. As soon as the sun started to rise, they set out for the tomb. Now, to be clear, they were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Nobody expected Jesus to rise from the dead at this point. That wasn't something anybody expected the Messiah to do because the Messiah, the Messiah was not expected to die in the first place. To be the Messiah meant he was going to conquer the Romans, not be killed by the Romans. And to be killed by the Romans meant, well, maybe he's not the Messiah after all. Many people have said, well, yeah, they made it up, the resurrection part. They made it up later because they wanted him to be the Messiah. And so they made that part up to kind of, kind of keep the story going. Um, but I just want to ask, just to kind of help us understand where their minds were at this point. Uh, do we have any Giants fans in here? Raise your hand if we have Giants fans. I've used this before, but I want to use it again. Okay. How many of you Giants fans bet on the Giants for the Super Bowl? As much as you wanted the Giants to be in the Super Bowl, did you bet on them? No, you didn't bet on them. You would have lost, right? Because they weren't in the Super Bowl. Well, once Jesus died, he was out of the running to be the Messiah. You see, there was other people who came before him, and there was even people who came after him claiming to be the Messiah for the Jews. And so they were the ones still in the running. Jesus, as soon as he died, is like, oh, I guess he's not the Messiah. We thought he was, but I guess he's not. And so they certainly wouldn't bet their lives on it, as many followers of Jesus later did, put their lives on it. They were, they were killed for what they claimed they believed and what they claimed they saw. When people say, well, they must have just made it up because they wanted him, that's like you making up that the Giants won the Super Bowl and betting your house on it. There's enough people to go, dude, -uh, give me your house. Right? So that didn't happen. So they show up and they're sad. And what they think they're doing on this day is bringing their last act of devotion to the end of the Jesus story. That's what they thought they were doing. Bringing closure to this movement. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, this took place before the women got there. Matthew's kind of saying this had taken place, but we know from Mark and, and Luke and John's gospel that this had already happened. So the women showed up, and what they found was a tomb. The stone had been rolled away, and they're like, what's going on? And there's this angel-like figure standing there, and, and, he, and, he, and he, he's, you know, freaking them out. I would be afraid. You would be afraid. We'd be a little freaked out. They're still not expecting, oh, that must mean Jesus is risen. No, 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 no. There were grave robberies in this time. People moved bodies around. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Don't be afraid. They're like, are you kidding me? Of course we're going to be afraid. 
you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now, the fact that Jesus was crucified, it's important to note, doesn't make him special. Because many, 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 many other people were crucified in this time. Many, many, many people were crucified. It was brutal. It was horrific what Jesus went through. But if he just was crucified, if he was just nailed to the cross and died, we wouldn't be wearing crosses around our necks and whatnot. Because he's dead. It doesn't, he, nothing, nothing happened. He didn't pay for anything. Nothing was accomplished. If he was just crucified, it didn't make him very different than many, many, many other people who were crucified. Some of whom claimed to also be the Messiah. I want you to imagine that we're on a, a, a frozen lake. And Kayla, my daughter, falls through the lake, falls through the ice, and she's underneath. And everybody's scared. Oh, no, Kayla's on, underneath the, the water. And imagine I jumped into that lake, the frozen lake, to, to save her. Am I heroic? Am I loving? Am I sacrificial? Yeah, yeah, sure. But if I don't come up from that water with her, if we both stay down, is she rescued? No. And eventually we both perish. And you guys are sad and you guys have a funeral for us. You might say, he tried. Good for him, he tried. And he was an inspiration, but he didn't. Save Kayla and he's certainly not still alive. And that's what kind of they were saying about Jesus. He tried. He was maybe going to do something special, but he failed. He went in and he couldn't come back up. That's what they were thinking about Jesus. That's why, that's why the idea that they just continued to make up the story doesn't really make much sense. But the angels continued. He's not here. He's risen just as he said. He's not in the tomb. Not because his body was stolen, but because it came back alive just as he said would happen. Now, just as he said, Jesus did say that. Jesus did on a few occasions say, guys, listen, I'm going to die at the hands of the chief priests and the religious leaders, but then I'm going to come back to life. And every time they're like, uh, anyway, can we get back to like the important stuff? Like they didn't get it. They didn't know what was going on because they had no belief in a resurrection like this. You see, nobody at this time believed that individuals came back to life in bodies to walk this earth. Nobody believed that. The only group that believed in a resurrection were the Jews, but they believed that it happened to everybody at the very, very, very end of time when God judges the world. They did not believe that one person could or would resurrect in the middle of history. They didn't, nobody believed that. There was no reference point for that. And every other, you know, the, the Greeks, the Romans, they believed in an afterlife. They believed that your soul lived on, but not that your body comes back and walks the earth. So if they heard Jesus say that he's coming back from the dead, they'd be like, what's he really talking about? You think that's a symbol? You think that's like a story to tell us something else? Is that a riddle? Kids, if I told you that one day before the end of the school year, a shark is going to walk into your classroom and visit you. Would you believe me? No, you wouldn't believe me. You'd be like, that's kind of crazy. If I, even if I said, hey, this guy <laughs> is going to come out of the ocean and visit you in your classroom, you'd be like, what is he talking about? Is, is somebody going to dress up like a shark? Does he mean a dead shark? I bet that you wouldn't be going to school 
for the rest of the year thinking, is this the day that a shark comes out of the ocean and visits my classroom? And that's kind of what they understood, you know, how they were hearing Jesus. What is he talking about? It was only after he came uh, back from the dead, only after the angel said this, that they were like, is that what he really meant? Like he was coming back alive? Like he was coming out of the grave? Is that what was really going on? Let's continue. Come and see the place where he lay, the angel said. So the angel said, hey, ladies, come check out the tomb. Remember the, the, the women? They were looking into the tomb. He's like, come, come see. Now, I heard Tim Keller, a pastor from New York, use this analogy. If you guys got a letter in the mail, not your phone or text or email, but a letter in the mail, and it seemed pretty formal and fancy, and it said that a distant relative just passed away and was leaving you millions, would you be skeptical? Of course you'd be skeptical. But with the stakes that high... Would you at least call the number that it says to call? Double check? Right? Yeah. And so the ladies, and for us, the stakes are so high that it's like, this, this person enlightening might be crazy, or we might be crazy thinking we see it, but we're going to go check out this tomb, and we're going to take some steps to find out if this is true. And that's my invitation for those of you who are skeptical. Find out, hey, let me take some steps to just double check because the stakes are too darn high right now. I got to find out what happened. How did this thing spread? Where did this belief come from? My three girls, I don't want them believing that the resurrection happened because I told them. I don't want them believing it because their mother told them. I don't even want them believing it because it says so in the Bible. Because we don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible tells us. We believe the Bible because the resurrection happened. And that's how the Bible came to be. It wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have the Bible that we have if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We wouldn't have this movement of Christianity if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And I want my girls to have moments where they go, wait a second. Wait a second. I don't know if I believe this. Let me, let me, let me look into this. Because I had those moments and I needed to have those moments. So when the angel says, come and see, I want you guys to hear that as an invitation to you if, you're, have some, you know, if you're a skeptic and you have some questions. Let me look into this. Let me look into this. How foolish would the women have been to say, nah, we're just going home. It's like, no, they're going to go see. So they go and they checked out the tomb and they, they looked into it. And by the way, here, here's why the empty tomb is so important to the story. Here's why the empty tomb is so important. Because if there was no empty tomb... And they just reported later that they saw Jesus alive. People could say, they're just crazy. They just think that they see him. And people still kind of try to say that. But the empty tomb shows up in every gospel account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The empty tomb is like a character in the story. It's a famous character. Why? Because people knew where they put Jesus' body. And if they wanted to stop this idea of him, you know, him coming back alive, what do they need to do? Get the body. I got another trivia for the kids and teenagers. What famous president was killed suddenly on Good Friday? Don't, adults don't answer. Te kids and teens, what famous president was killed on Good Friday? Huh? Abraham Lincoln, you are correct. Abraham Lincoln was, was tragically, this is one of his last photos. He was tragically killed on Good Friday. Lots of people loved him. Lots of people hated him. Kind of like Jesus. He went down, not on the Good Friday that Jesus died, by the way, much later. But he died suddenly and tragically. Some people 
certainly would have wanted him to continue living. Imagine one person started to say, hey, guys, I saw Abraham Lincoln a lot. Everybody else would be like, crazy, sad, anyway. If a small group started to say, I saw Abraham Lincoln, he's alive, he's alive. Maybe you'd say, mm, crazy, kind of a cult, that little group over there who keeps saying that. But if this group started to expand and increase and more and more people kept saying, Abraham Lincoln's alive and he's still our president and we're not listening to the current president, he's still our president, then eventually people are going to go, okay, we got to stop this. What do they need to do? Dig up that body, go to the grave. There was ways to prove it. So the empty tomb, Matthew is saying, happened. They investigated it. It doesn't mean he rose from the dead on its own. If all you have is an empty tomb, you could say that people stole the body. But the empty tomb would be proof later on that they didn't hallucinate because then they could go grab the body. And no body, historically, was ever produced. Nobody ever pulled it out and said, all right, let's put this to rest. It didn't happen. So the empty tomb was an important part of the story. Let's keep going. Verse 7. The angel says to the women, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the angels say to the women, you are going to get to see him. I don't, you're not going to be left with just an empty tomb and, you know, some scary figure telling you this. You will see him. Get to the other disciples, tell them what's going on, and go to Galilee, and you're going to see him there. And so the, the women the, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Afraid yet filled with joy, as you and I would be, Right? Afraid, like, what is going on? This is crazy. And filled with joy. Could it be true? Am I crazy for thinking it could be true? Right? I imagine they're having these thoughts. Verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Right? Andrew popping out from the curtain. Greetings. Like, it's, it's like Jesus, just like, a, like on a Christmas morning, like, you know, you tell the kids, hey, on Christmas morning we're going to open a present, and then like at midnight he shows up in the bedroom and says, hey, just open one right now. I want, I want you to open one. It's like Jesus like, I can't wait to see you guys. I can't wait to see your reaction. He didn't have to do this. They're going to Galilee to see him. He didn't have to show up early, but he, but he did. Why did he do that? Maybe because he wanted the disciples to hear more than, uh, you know, an empty tomb is evidence, but that they actually saw him. Maybe, maybe he wanted that. But I think also he loved these women. He loved these women. He loved them. And he wanted to reveal himself to them. And he couldn't wait to see them. Mary Magdalene was one of them. She, in Luke uh, chapter 8, talks about her having demons, uh, healed of her demons. So she, had, she was transformed by Jesus. She loved Jesus. He loved these women. And so he couldn't wait to see them. He didn't want, in other words, them to just believe the right things about him. He wanted them to have an encounter with him. And I think this is what he wants for all of us. And if he is alive, then he has a way of showing up in our lives. He ascended physically into heaven, but he left his spirit. And his spirit goes and his spirit opens our eyes to see him for who he is. And many of us have had encounters with him. But that's what I want for my girls. When I, when I pray for my girls, I don't just want them to believe that Jesus died and rose again. I want them to believe that he's alive and I can interact with him. And he wants to be with me because he loves me. He wants to be with me. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. 
What else are you going to do with the one who died and rose again? What else are you going to do with the one who said he was going to die, said he was going to rise again, did, reveals himself to you? You worship him. Man, he's the Lord above all lords. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So don't be afraid. What does he mean by that? (laughs) He means you have nothing to be afraid of. Now the angel said it, right, earlier. Remember the angel said it? Yeah? The angel said it. Maybe, okay, but we're still kind of freaked out because we don't know who this angel is. If I say it to you guys, hey, guys, don't be afraid. Well, Pastor Chris, like, he, he has his limitations and whatnot. But if Jesus says it, that changes things. If the one who died and rose again and conquered death says, don't be afraid, no matter what you're going through, even though there's people out to get my followers, don't be afraid. Well, you can rest in that because he's the one who overcame the grave. You see, the good news of Jesus is not just that he loves you. A lot of people love you. Hopefully. (laughs) My grandmas loved me. They loved me. But when I'm going through a hard day and and a confusing situation, I can't call up my grandmas because they've both passed. Their love can't help me right now. Even my wife who loves me, she's, you know, she's got her limitations. She can't always help me through things that I need help with. Even my love for my kids has its limits, right, parents? As much as I want to protect them from getting sick or getting bullied, I can't ultimately protect them from that. I can't control that. I got my limitations. My love is not that powerful. I can't promise them that I'm going to walk them all down the aisle one day. I can't even promise them that they're going to get married if they want to get married. I can't promise them that I will be around. Many of you have lost loved ones this past year. I don't know if I'll be here next Easter. My love has its limits. But Jesus' doesn't. He overcame that grave, showing that his love is more powerful. And so any uh, he's not a prophet or a religious figure like any other religious figure or prophet. He is the one who overcame the grave. And so when he says don't be afraid, the women can rest in that and you and I can rest in that. Because nothing can come our way that he can't handle, he can't redeem. Even death, even death, even death has been defeated by him. And then he said, because in case you're thinking, well, maybe he's powerful, but I don't know if he can love me. Because stuff I've got, the guilt I've got, the shame I've got. Just look at this last line. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You know why that's so powerful? You know why that's so powerful? Because the night he was arrested and taken and started to get tortured, they all fled. They dispersed. They deserted him. They left him. Peter denied knowing him. Can I ask the kids one more question? I asked my girls this the other day. This is the last question, I promise. If you guys were playing on a soccer team, and you're winning, 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 and then you have a big loss, and one of your teammates, let's call her Katie, you know, Katie says, I'm done with this team. I'm quitting, and she quits. And then you keep playing, and you get to the States, and you win the state tournament, and you're the champions, and the governor invites you to his house to take pictures, and you get trophies. And all of a sudden, Katie, who hasn't played the last few games and helped you win the championship, all of a sudden decides, well, I want to come to the party and get a trophy and get my picture taken and be in the newspaper. Should Katie be allowed to do that? No. My girls were like, no way. It's like, yeah, that's how things work. You don't get to 
show up at the last minute. And yet Jesus, his disciples who abandoned him, left him at his darkest hour, he shows up and he says, go tell them. In Mark's gospel, it says especially Peter. Go tell Peter too. Peter's probably thinking, not me. Couldn't be me. I denied knowing him. No, no, no. I still want them on my team. I still want them on my team. I haven't given up on them. That's why I, I went to the cross. That's why he went to the cross. To pay for our failures and our sins. And so his love is powerful and his love is deep and it's filled with grace. And it covers all our sins and his resurrection proves that. That's why it's so meaningful. That's why it's so important. That's why anything we're tempted to be ashamed of, we can say, wait a second, wait a second. It went to the cross and it was really paid for and I know that because he came back from the dead. Next week, we're going to pick this. There's actually part two, and part two is next week. It's the rest of chapter 28 where Jesus does appear to his disciples. And, and we're going to see how the resurrection gives us purpose and power and identity. But I just kind of want to end where I started with, with, with these, these papers. The fearful, Right? Can I call the band up? We're going we're gonna to close. We'll, we'll, we'll close. Can I ask you guys to stand? It's going to give you the last thing to think about. But I hope as we went through this story that I hope God spoke to you and showed you that why this is the story most worthy of our gaze, most worthy of our attention, most worthy of captivating our hearts. Because it's true, it happened in history. And so for the skeptic, I pray that if, if, if you at least weren't like, well, I'm convinced, at least go investigate like the women's. Go check out that empty tomb. Go look at the evidence. Go look at the alter alternate theories that there are. There's other alternate theories. Oh, maybe he didn't die. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe, they, maybe it's a conspiracy and they made it up. There's these alternate theories, but look at the lack of evidence for these theories. The one that makes the most rational sense is that he actually came alive. This actually happened in history. And then the hopeless, the hopeless, the hopeless. The, the discouraged, I've given up, I don't know what to do. His resurrection, him coming back from the dead means, it means, it means that you can go to bed Saturday night not knowing what to do, not knowing where God is, not knowing why God's not answering your prayers, and wake up Sunday morning and find out that God has been at work all along, under the surface, behind the scenes, in ways that you couldn't imagine doing something in your marriage, doing something with your kids' lives, doing something in your financial situation, doing something in your own heart that you couldn't see. And then there's the ashamed, as I talked about. The other night on Good Friday, we nailed some things to the cross. Red, red, these red papers, we wrote down things that we're ashamed of or things that we need to trust that he paid for. And people wrote down different things. There was a lot of them. Pride and, and self-pity. Unforgiveness. And he, he paid for that. His resurrection means he paid for that. So the shame that you feel, you get to say, you know what? The risen Lord says he took it. I'm leaving it. I'm letting him take it to the grave. The distracted in the board. The distracted in the board. The women weren't just told this happened, go tell other people, and then go back to your life. What started at that point was a new creation. 
the beginning of new creation. They came to the tomb thinking they were bringing closure to the end of a story, and what they got invited into was the beginning of a whole new movement, the beginning of a whole new story. And you and I get to be part of that as well. And we'll talk more about that next week, but we get to be part of that. Kids, teenagers, you get to be part of that. Being good at sports, getting into a college, having a boyfriend and a girlfriend, pale. The excitement of those things are great. Praise God when we have those. But they pale in comparison to this awesome, great, marvelous story. And the fearful, Jesus said it. Don't be afraid. I got you. If I can redeem the worst day in history, my crucifixion, I can redeem anything that's coming your way. I got it. And then lastly, lastly, the angry. The angry, the angry heart. I want to pray for the angry. Can we close our eyes as we, as we finish? I want to pray for the angry. I don't know why I just felt led the angry on my heart today. Jesus, I would imagine that there was anger amongst your followers on Friday night and Saturday. But when they saw you alive, I also imagine so much of that anger melted away. Many of our people have been through stuff. They've been through trauma. They've been beaten up by life. Maybe they're angry at you. And so Jesus, if you're alive and I believe with all my heart that you are, would you melt that anger? Would you heal that anger? Bitterness. Walls that have gone up. Where people have even been hurt by churches in the past. We can't promise as a church we'll make up for that or fix that. But Jesus, you're alive. You're the one who can heal that. You're the one who can melt that. <coughs> I pray that you would do it. I pray that today... It's not just a day where we celebrate with hams and turkeys and eggs, but today's a day where we walk out of here with our gaze more fixed on your story. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, let's just sing a final song together.